This is Jasper Sloan Yip, and you're listening to Strange Commentary, the audio liner notes to my record, Strange Calm. This is episode two, Gin Fizz. Okay, so in January of 2019, Amanda and I went on our honeymoon. It was about a year and a half after we'd gotten married. So we went to Thailand and Indonesia. And um, this audio that you're hearing right now is the sound of this young guy who's spinning fireballs on the beach. And uh, Amanda is sitting on the sand sort of at his feet. And he's doing tricks with these things around her head. We had just arrived earlier that day at the island of Koh Tao, which is in uh, Thailand. And we spent our first day just wandering around the beach, stopping at bars and restaurants and stuff like that. And it was funny, there weren't like a lot of people around, even though there was usually a lot of people around that time of year. But the weather was kind of bad, it was gray and rainy. But despite all that, I remember feeling really excited and happy that day. And it's kind of stayed with me ever since. Eventually it got dark and, um, you know, I I think we both had a little bit too much to drink. The last thing I remember Amanda ordering was a gin fizz. And then I more or less had to carry her back to our room. So we'd come to this island to learn how to scuba dive. It's always been a dream of mine to go diving. And I think it's because it seems like the only opportunity I'll ever get to visit another world. And I have to say, now that I've done it, that's exactly what it feels like. It's like a dream. The first time I went underwater with scuba gear on was in a swimming pool. And it was really scary. Uh, I could hardly see, and I was breathing too fast, and I couldn't think, and I couldn't communicate with anyone. And it wasn't so much that moment that was terrifying, but I sort of pictured what it would be like out in the ocean a hundred feet down and feeling the kind of panic that I was feeling in that moment. And that was really scary. But the fear went away. And when I dove in the ocean for the first time, the fear came and it went away. And when it left that time, it was replaced by this really, truly blissful calm. The kind of calm that only comes after fear, I think. And once you're Once you get over the fear of being underwater and how unnatural it is, and frankly how dangerous it can be, it becomes completely free down there. There's different rules, different physics. You can fly. The light behaves differently. It's really a wonderful experience. So at some point I noticed that I was writing about water a lot. I was standing in it or walking through it or floating on it or I was sitting on the beach. I was always near or in water. And I think water has always had a lot of symbolic and metaphoric appeal 
to writers, and I definitely used it in a very intentional way on this record, but I don't want to talk about it too explicitly. I, I don't think it's a good idea to talk too explicitly about specific symbols or metaphors or, or devices like that that you use in your music because I think you want to leave it up to the listener to decide for themselves what the material means, you know? And when you start talking about it too specifically, you you can inadvertently, like, ruin a song meaning or at least foreclose upon a possible song interpretation that someone might have. And I don't, I don't want to do that here but anyways yeah i was i was fixating on water and then i started fixating on the idea that perhaps love could survive death which uh is a big turnaround for me as someone who spent many years cultivating what i would call an optimistically nihilistic worldview and by that i mean i felt that consciousness was just this spontaneous occurrence that just sort of happened and that was not something to despair in but something to celebrate and knowing that we were given this spontaneous uh, consciousness we should do our best to enjoy the experience and experience as much as, as we can before we return to oblivion you know so I was fairly certain that there was no eternal element to my personhood, i.e. the soul. But, you know, I'm, I'm not so sure anymore. So Amanda and I were in the car with my folks... And we drove by the Burnaby Art Gallery, which is located in the suburb of the same name adjacent to Vancouver. The gallery is housed in this beautiful, restored old mansion that apparently used to belong to some wealthy political family many, many, many years ago, before it was donated for public use. My mom taught ceramics there for many years, and as we were driving by that day, she just super casually mentioned that the building was haunted. Apparently the family who used to live there had a young girl who died in the house. I think maybe she fell down the stairs or something. Uh, And there had been reports of her ghost over the years. My mom never saw the ghost herself, but she did have this close encounter towards the end of her time there. She was working late one night with another student and the the student left the studio for a few minutes and when she came back she just asked my mom who the little girl was you know she wasn't scared or and she didn't know about the story she just thought or assumed that they were the only people in the building because it was so late and it's, it's you know it's not a big building but she apparently saw a little girl like playing in the stairs or playing at the end of a hallway or something and just thought it was odd so I, you know, my mom didn't say anything to the to the student because, like, what? I mean, what do you say, right? So I, I, you know, I know it was my mom telling me the story, but something about the story itself just kind of rung true with me, and I can't really explain it beyond that. I know it's just an anecdote, but after I heard it, I just kind of changed my mind and accepted the idea 
that, okay, maybe there is something fundamental about consciousness that can transcend our mortal selves, you know, and our material selves. Why not? So, Devin, I I wanted to ask you about that time that you told me your ghost story and I freaked out. (laughs) Do you remember? I do. I can't remember. I think we were were getting lunch somewhere or was it dinner? It was dinner because it was like it was like an after sound check kind of thing. Totally. I can envision the room. I think you, didn't you eat like a broad or something or some sort of work? I don't, I don't know what I ate. I remember we ordered those nachos that had just like one block of cheese that was kind of just sitting on top <laughs> of some tortilla chips. Remember? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I just kind of remember there being a story about a, a person whose aura had been torn and they were, the, their ghosts were exercised over the phone. So yeah, it was a friend of mine, uh, very science-minded individual. So like, you know, not somebody that you would think would get involved in ghost stories or believe in ghosts, but he had like moved into a house and noticed that there was like a cold draft in the house the whole time. And he, and he didn't really think anything of it, but his sister came over and was like, oh, you got a ghost. You should talk to it. And so he started communicating with it with like, it's called automated writing. I'm not entirely sure how it works, but mm-hmm. it's kind of like a Ouija board situation. Okay. So he started asking a question, kind of like mockingly being like, oh, are you a ghost? You know, thinking that he'd get no answer, but then he did eventually start kind of getting answers from this ghost. And he noticed that whenever he would leave his house, that cold, drafty feeling followed him out of the house. Okay. And, and was specifically like on his chin and his leg. Um, right, it, it was like l- local to certain two parts of his body. Yeah, exactly. So like he could feel this cold presence, like touching his chin and his leg. I'm really condensing the story here because because I probably heard, first heard it like ten years ago, but so like a lot of the details are gone. But I remember him starting to talk to the ghost more and more, trying to get it to go away and leave him alone because it also that cold feeling made him feel like all of his energy had been like sucked out. It was draining. It was just extremely draining. And then he started to like feel like he was going crazy, like because he was like battling with it all the time. And so he finally called somebody from touch with an exorcist and called this person and was like, okay, well, do you want to come over and like give my house an, like an exorcism? And the woman's like, oh yeah, no, I don't need to come over. I can just do it on the phone. <laughs> And without him describing anything, was able to identify that there was a woman who was, like, stroking his chin and a child wrapped around his leg, which are, like, the two places that he felt this, like, cold presence. Right. And said, like, oh, yeah, this is, like, a mother and daughter that had, like, died in a car crash nearby or something. She she even knew, like, the story how they died? Like... I, I think so, yeah. Wow. And then she's like, well, they just got lost along the way to like the other like ethereal planes and so I'll just guide them there and then they'll be like rid of these specific ghosts and so she like described going into his backyard which she had never been to before Mm -hmm. 
And he's like, yep, I'm leading them through the fruit trees and they're coming with me and like could kind of pinpoint these very specific I mean, she was describing the yard. Yeah, she'd never been there before. And yeah, and then he felt it kind of disappear and was like, oh, wow, we really did it. But she's like, well, (laughs) the issue with talking to ghosts is that you rip this protective aura around you that protects you from having ghosts latch onto you and suck your life energy out. And so now that you've ripped your aura, um, more and more ghosts will be able to just attach to you. And she kind of described this process of like weakening or ripping aura. Um, So you can do it in lots of ways. Like you could do it by drug use or lack of sleep. And he also pointed out sometimes if you do drugs and you feel that kind of cold breeze, but that's that's you being able to feel the ghosts nearby. <laughs> um, yeah, so he had ripped his aura open, so he needed to, apparently to learn how to see them. I remember this. Yeah, um, yeah, he had to like train yeah. himself, right? Yeah, so he had to train himself. So he like, and again, this is a science guy, and the whole time he was telling me this, he kept on prefacing with this. Being like, I know this sounds insane. I know this is crazy. Well, wait, when you um, say science guy, are, do you mean he was a scientist? Is that? Yep, he was a scientist. Okay. He, yeah, he worked in like the environmental field. Totally, he was. He was like pretty embarrassed, even like opening up and telling me the story, because he kept on just saying like, I know this sounds absolutely crazy. Right. Um. Anyway, so he told me that he had learned how to see ghosts, and I asked him what they looked like, and. He said that they looked slightly cartoonish, made out of dots, and were smaller than they would have been in real life, which just like triggered this very specific memory that I had as a tiny child in my bedroom. And I remember seeing like these like little dot figures come out of really? my closet. Little yeah. pic- pixelated yeah. figures. They were just made out of dots, and at first there was, like, these, like, acrobats kind of going through my bedroom, and they were tiny. Like, they were not the human size, and I remember getting really freaked out by them, and then these kind of, like, dot carpety things started flying around my room, and I've never had an explanation as to why that happened, and so it was really surprising when he said that they were made out of dots, they looked a little cartoonish, and they were smaller than real life. Okay, so I also have this this other memory of like you were, did you go on a hike with this person and they said they saw ghosts in the woods or something? Totally. Yeah. We'd just be walking around and he's like, okay, don't be freaked out. But there's, there's a guy sitting right next to us. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. He said he could see them. How did that make you feel? Kind of skeptical, honestly, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> cause it's, it's always hard to tell, right? You know, what's hard to tell? Like, what's real or not? Oh, well, I mean, uh, who's to say? Yeah, fully. Yeah, ex- exactly. So That's kind yeah, of why I wanted just, to ask you, because, like, I, I don't know if I already told you my mom's ghost story. I'll, t- I'll tell you sometime. But she told me a ghost story, and it just, like, instantly made me question everything that I – or it made me immediately question certain assumptions that I had about the nature of the world and reality, whatever – and I had a similar experience when you told me your ghost story at that restaurant. I like, you just made me like panic because I was like, oh shit, like uh, instantly there were all of these 
assumptions I had about the world that were again just just suddenly made uh, false, or they'd come totally. into question, and it just really rocked my world. Yeah, you got really freaked out. Yeah, we had to go for a I mean, walk around the, <laughs> around the parking lot of this of the place. And you made me stop telling ghost stories. I don't even think I like finished my food. I think I stopped eating and and like I think you did too. I think we got the check pretty quickly. After yeah, that. I mean, I yeah, we totally did. Yeah, I kind of felt the same way after this guy told this story, and it made me really interested actually in ghost stories. And I feel like the next like probably six months to a year, I spent a lot of time talking to lots of different people about their experiences with like the unexplainable. And and kind of found a lot of like similarities in stories. Yeah, both of those those two events really they really like stuck with me, and they really mm. they really changed how I think about everything. So what what does all of this have to do with gin fizz? Well. I suppose if if we have souls, you and I, if all of us have souls, then perhaps love can transcend death. And that is a comforting thought. It was a comforting thought for me as I was writing this record. As I said on the first episode, this is an album that reflects upon endings and it attempts to deal with the pain of letting go. And I know this is cliche, but the beach seems like the perfect setting for that kind of reflection, you know? And symbolically, it's very rich. It's the end of the world. It's the edge of the world that we inhabit, and it's interfacing with whatever is beyond. And I suppose this reflection that I'm describing, what I'm really describing is a process of grieving. And I am grieving right now. There's I'm grieving all kinds of things, real things and abstract things and big things and small things and internal things and things that feel way bigger than myself. But we grieve by celebrating, right? Isn't that what we do when when somebody dies, we we celebrate their life. And I think what I was doing with this song was fixating on this moment that was worth celebrating. It was just this lovely day that I spent on the beach with Amanda, and I was right where I wanted to be, and I I was happy. The song starts with anxiety. Look at the lives that we've built and must fill. Face on a carton of milk. I don't know. I feel gone. And then the song pulls focus onto somebody. But you're bigger than everything else here around me. And then the song zooms way out onto a cosmic scale. Shivering stars hiss and rattle around the void. Shimmering light mingling with your whispered voice. Soft skin aglow on the beach and the warming wine. I can't recall ever having a better time. When I think about this moment, I immediately think of so many others just like it. And I'm struck by how much gratitude I feel for the way I've been able to spend my time. How I got to spend the last 10 years with my friends making music and 
sharing my life with Amanda and, and traveling and doing all these things. I'm just struck by this overwhelming sense of gratitude. And how do you communicate this? How do you capture such immense feeling and do it justice? I, I think art is the only way. And I don't know who said this or when they said it or when I heard it, but I heard someone say once that you don't paint the rose. You attempt to paint the beauty of the rose.